Rinkwide Vancouver. Tonight, the Stanley Cup champs came to town in a game that had so much buildup, and the home team went thud. Stanley Cup champs full credit for a 4-1 victory over the Vancouver Canucks as Vegas comes to town and extends its lead atop the Pacific Division. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with Matt Sakaris. And it was an opportunity lost, Matt, for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, again, I think you have to tip your hat to a team that looked every bit the part of the champs. Last day of November here in Vancouver, Jeff, it's pouring rain, so nature is healing, and I think for the cynic, the doubter of the Vancouver Canucks, they might say the same thing after taking this spanking at the hands of the Stanley Cup champions. It's almost like Vegas was like, all right, so there's a new shooter here, a new challenger. They think they're going to take first place in the Pacific Division, and they came to play from the outset of this game through 60 you tell me my friend i'm not sure the vancouver canucks have had a loss like this this year this is probably the worst loss of the season because really there haven't been too too many games where you can point to and say wow the canucks were really handled that night i know talk was upset about the loss in philadelphia there have been a couple of other uneven efforts so far this year with the Canucks through nearly 25 games of their schedule, but none that resembled this. This this was utter domination front to back. I mean, they doubled them up in shots, 45 to 22. Just look at every stat here, Jeff. 45-22 mm-hmm. in shots, one for three on the power play. The Canucks go 0 for. Canucks win just 39% of the faceoffs. They're out hit 23-18. They're out blocked shot 13 to 10. Five giveaways to Vegas for 11 for Vancouver and six takeaways for Vegas, three for the Vancouver Canucks. So a front to back, anyway you slice it, tonight was all about the Vegas Golden Knights, the defending champions. No, and I think you're spot on. Uh, this was the third time all season. They played 24 games now, just the third time all season they had fallen behind 2 nothing. but this was the first time that they trailed 3 nothing in a hockey game. And, yeah, I mean, look at the shots. 13-8 to for Vegas in the first period. They're up 2 nothing after 20, and you think, okay, maybe a slap in the face for the Vancouver Canucks, maybe a wake-up call. I think the troubling part for me is that down 2 nothing, you thought maybe there'd be some urgency and some pushback. The Canucks get outshot 32-14 to over the final 40 minutes, and Vegas extended its lead midway through the second period on the power play. Tyler Myers sent off, and moments later it was William Carlson with all kinds of time and space. And I think when I look at this game, Matt, really time and space are two words that I think we'll talk about an awful lot because Vegas just doesn't give you any. It's remarkable how well coached they are. Uh, Rick Tockett has spent the better part of a year now trying to instill structure for his hockey club. There is a stick in every shooting lane. The few times that Canuck players thought that they had maybe that half beat to get a shot away, Vegas closes on you right away. They just eliminate your opportunities. And it wasn't until the late stages of the third, I guess not late stages, but till the third period and when they were down four to one that Andre Kuzmenko found himself with a little bit of space. And that had to feel good for him. He hadn't scored since the first game of the month, but way too little, way too late for the Vancouver Canucks. And yeah, I think if you add this one to the loss in Denver just over a week ago, well, the Avalanche are built to get back to the top of the mountain, pun intended. You've got a Vegas team that has been to a Stanley Cup final, got back there and got it right last year. You know, These are the litmus tests. These are measuring sticks. Even if the Canuck players don't want to hear those words, those were the words that were used sort of leading into this. Look, the Canucks have had an incredible start to the season. But if they are going to try to stack up against teams that have legitimate designs and are built to win the Stanley Cup, I think you see this gap that does exist. And I think that's one of the reasons they made the trade they made today, Jeff, knowing that they were a little light on the back end to compete with teams of this quality in the Western Conference. So maybe the acquisition of Nikita Zadorov uh, distracted the Canucks second time this week. They've made a trade uh, on a game day. But no, Vegas is a superb team. They play a fantastic system. Bruce Cassidy is an incredible coach. You see how aggressive they were on the penalty kill as well? Wow. I, I, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that are that in your face and challenging virtually every touch of the puck on the power play. But they were right there with a stick and a body in front of every Vancouver Canuck 
on the power play and at even strength as well. I mean, they're just, they're all over you. I'm just looking at my notes through the three periods, and it seems like there's two to three Vegas notes for every one right. of the Vancouver Canucks. Now, with regards to Kuzmenko, well, he was pretty good tonight. I think message received, basically. A couple of nights later, would have liked to have seen it Tuesday, but Tuesday they were able to get the victory with Andre Kuzmenko playing only okay in the words of Rick Tockett. I imagine the coach will have a lot better things to say about Kuzmenko tonight, and not just because of the goal he scored. I thought he was a, an active player and maybe the best Vancouver Canuck forward this evening. Yeah, 17 and a half minutes, three shots on goal, seven attempts. So that tells you he had the puck on his stick uh, a little bit more than he has of late. He's not a volume shooter. So for him to have seven shot attempts, that feels like, you know, he's trying to make something happen. And ultimately, you know, that did look like the Andre Kuzmenko of last year with that quick snapshot off the rush. Nice feed from JT Miller. But again, it's a 4 nothing hockey game at that point. It makes it 4-1. to one. It breaks the Vegas shutout. And of course, Aiden Hill got the start, left under mysterious circumstances. After 40 minutes of play, Logan Thompson came in at 3 nothing, and they extended that lead with the Brett Howden goal 16 seconds into the third period. So the Golden Knights were cruising. It didn't matter. And it really, it didn't matter last year who they had in goal. It was goalie by committee, and it was goalie by committee here. I think for the Canucks, the troubling part for me, Matt, is that Vegas came scuffling in here. They had lost three in a row. They had one win in their last six. I know they're better than that, but this is the end of the line. They had played eight of nine, or they have played eight of nine on the road after a pretty soft schedule to start with not much travel. The month of November, they've been living out of suitcases, and you thought maybe the Canucks were getting them at a time where they were running out of steam. No Shea Theodore, the local product, Alec Martinez, the veteran defenseman, the three-time cup winner, those guys will play when they get back and they get healthy. And I know the Canucks are without Carson Soucy and Pius Suter. Every team is battling something to some degree, but you had a chance here against a Vegas team that was without two of certainly its top five defensemen, if not two of its top four, and this was opportunity squandered. Yeah, it sure was. And uh, Yvonne Barbashev, who had been very quiet for the Vegas Golden Knights, makes a big imprint on this hockey game. In fact, that top Vegas line, Barbashev yeah. with Eichel and Stone, were outstanding all all night long. And the same cannot be said for Elias Pettersson. Wow. Don't remember too many games from... Petey that were that quiet front to back. I mean, is, is he a total outage on the on the uh, on the stat line there? Not a single shot attempt. He had a, wow. a couple of hits, and he went four and six in the faceoff circle. Had a blocked shot, but in we've been watching his shot totals and shot volume here, and they are down considerably from last year through the first 23 or 24 games. And even in the last couple of weeks, his shot totals have been way down. I know he scored the other night on the wraparound against the Anaheim Ducks, and that was positive. They needed that and turned out to be the game winner. But you're right. And to the point that Andre Kuzmenko scores his goal away from Elias Pettersson, they took Kuzmenko off the Pettersson line, put him with JT Miller and Brock Besser, and Rick Tockett is now searching for mm. something, anything to... The Miller line's been good all season, and obviously Brock Besser leading the league in goals. But there are two ends of the ice, and they've been good almost every night out. But Miller and Besser were on the ice for those first two Vegas goals in the first period. In fact, and not a surprise, they drew the matchup assignment against mm -hmm. Jack Eichel's line for 20 minutes. But when it's 2 nothing, and they got schooled in the first period... Rick Tockett went away from that and tried to, at one point Teddy Bluger in his line. I think Pedersen got a couple of shifts out there against the Eichel line. Uh, they slowed down five on five. Eichel gets an assist on the Carlson goal. He was in on the first three goals of the hockey game. But yeah, this was a rare night where JT Miller and his group in the matchup role weren't able to get it done and win their share of the battles. And look at those first two Vegas goals. You mentioned Barbashev backhand in the slot. It's Miller. It's Quinn Hughes. It's Philip Heronik. It's the guys that you just would want say, out there yep. just standing around. Like, Five guys watching, Jeff. I was, mean, it, it was the third chance that gets buried there from Barbashev. Eichel and Stone are right there as well. Thatcher Demko is sprawled out. He's without his goal stick. And you have a bunch of Canucks who are observing proceedings as opposed to trying to stop what is happening. And you, you mentioned Hughes and and Hironic being the defense pair on that goal as well, and we haven't seen a lot of that over the course of the year. They've been pretty solid, and frankly, that defense pair with that line has been pretty solid. But 
I like what you say about Rick Tockett now searching because, of course, Phil DiGiuseppe was scheduled to be a healthy scratch on Tuesday before the Anthony Beauvillier trade forces him into the lineup. Not only Kuzmenko, but Nils Hoaglander gets some run on the second yeah. line with Miller and Besser as well. And so you're quite right. For the first time all season, Rick Tockett and Mike Yeo have some decisions to make with regards to the composition of their forward lines. In fact, it was only the Canucks' third line, and the line that, let's face it, has, has been pretty good here of late, that stayed intact tonight with Bluger, Joshua, and Garland, and fantastic opportunity for them. Dakota Joshua can't get a stick down and bury a chance in front after Connor Garland does some some very nice work. But I think for the first time all year, we're looking at a situation where next practice out, and we'll see if that's tomorrow or next morning skate, come Saturday in Calgary, we're all going to be keen observers as to who is playing with whom. And we talked about it right from the outset of the season, Jeff. Line stability usually means team stability. If your lines are, if your team's going, your lines pretty much stay intact. And through the, through the first quarter of this NHL season, the Canucks have been able to mostly stay intact with their forward trios. I suspect you're going to have to see something in a blender as Tockett and the coaching staff search for answers here. Yeah, and look, I'll cut Brock Besser some slack. The guy seemingly scores every night or had back-to-back two-goal games. So this is an off night for him, but I think he and JT will stay together. But from that point on, uh, yeah, I mean, remarkably quiet for Elias Pettersson. And it is still fair to wonder what is going on because he just, in this month of November, this is a guy that just crushed it out of the gates at 19 points in the first 10 games this season. And it's been a drop in the bucket ever since. And so, you know, Ilya Mikheyev, has his moments, but he only had one shot attempt in this hockey game as well. It just doesn't feel like there is the chemistry that you would want. And I agree with you that the best line in terms of possession and territorial play is that Garland and Joshua line. Pia Suter was there earlier. He's hurt. Now Teddy Bluger has stepped in, the former Golden Knight. The problem is, if that's your best line on a nightly basis and there's no bottom line for those guys... It's going to be difficult to win a lot of hockey games. And as a result, the Canucks have lost five of eight now. Well, and, and the searching, I think, goes beyond just the uh, the forward combinations here, Jeff. Philip Ronick was on the first couple of power play opportunities. The Canucks don't score. He goes back to the four forward set with Andre Kuzmenko, joining the first power play unit for the start of the third power play. They don't score. The period break comes out. Ronick is back out with the first power play unit. You can tell, and Tockett has spoken to this this week, that he really likes Ronick's shot as a threatening weapon on that first power play. You can tell that the message has been received by Ronick, who is shooting the puck. Alas, it doesn't translate to a goal tonight. And and really, you know, after what was a darn good first period for Vegas, but I would say the first period was probably Vancouver's best period as well today. I know it's slim pickings there, Jeff. You're down 2 nothing after that first period. Opening that second period on the power play, that's your opportunity to get back in this game. That's where your coaching staff has hopefully made adjustments, read the right act, whatever they're doing, or the room itself takes care of business and says, guys, we have to be better. That's your opportunity to get back in this hockey game. And when that power play came and went without a goal, as you say, they're down 3 nothing for the first time all season midway through the period when Vegas gets a power play opportunity and just nobody closes out on William Carlson. I mean, they, they know, time and space, as you say, was there in abundance for Carlson. Yeah, Ian Cole was the closest guy to him, but you can't. You, I mean, that's Vegas's leading goal scorer, and he adds to his total because... Uh, yeah, you got to close out on that guy. Exactly. You know, if you're not going to close out on a defenseman on the point, okay, so be it. But you got to close out on that guy, particularly when he's creeping in from the faceoff circle and sizing up where he wants to put the puck. You know, it's hard to throw darts at a power play that has run close to 30% and has won the Canucks a bunch of games this year, but I'm glad you brought it up because not only did it go 0 for 3, but the Canucks had five minutes of power play time. There was uh, an overlap at one point. There are four minutes and 59 seconds of power play time in this hockey game. Matt, they had three shots three on shots. goal. Three shots, yep. And further than that, and uh, we'll get to the stat that stands out. I thought about using this one, but since we're on the topic here, 
one of the things we've liked a lot about this power play is the different looks, the movement, the player movement, the puck movement, keeping mm -hmm. the defenses on guard. JT Miller had all three of the power play shots in this yeah. hockey game. Hironik's been shooting the puck. Besser with his 17 goals. Quinn Hughes has been shooting the puck a ton. We do wonder about Elias Pettersson as a shooting option these days. But just three shots on goal in five minutes of power play time and all three from JT Miller. And you continue to wonder whether Elias is deferring those shooting opportunities. And as for Quinn Hughes, I thought for maybe the first time all season, he looked off-put. He looked disturbed in terms of walking the blue line and doing what he wanted to do on the power play. And that's because of how aggressive Vegas was in closing out on power play puck handlers. So... You know, give them a lot of credit. Look pretty clear to me that they were not going to let any of the Canucks' main puck handlers and players, uh, maestros on that power play, set up, survey the ice, and make a choice. They were going to close out on them, put them under duress, force them to make a quicker decision, and that worked with Miller on the half wall, and that worked with Hughes at the blue line at the top on the point. We've talked about the fact that they've lost five of eight and for basically two, two and a half weeks now, I don't think they've looked as sharp. They picked up a win at home against San Jose. They picked up a win the other night against a, a listless Anaheim team and a good win in Seattle. Credit where it was due at Climate Pledge. And that was a big win to keep the Kraken at eight points behind. But in there, there was a loss to Colorado. There was a loss to the Calgary Flames. There was uh, this loss against the Vegas Golden Knights. So raced out of the gates. I think they're 8-0 against Western Conference opponents and now uh, have started to take on a little bit of water. Uh, and again, coming back to the power play, I mentioned the three shots. That was troubling. But also just the timing. And you sort of touched on it there that, you know, two of the power plays they got came when the game was one nothing. Well, that's where their power play has lifted them so many times this season. The other power play came when it was a 2 nothing game, a power play goal there, and you're on the board, crowd's into it, a little bit of life. Whatever the case, uh, power play just didn't have it. But there are two teams out there, and credit to the Vegas Golden Knights, as we said. Pressure that they apply, you think you have an opportunity, and then it's gone in the blink of an eye. So disappointing night for the fans that were in attendance. I think they expected more for the buildup, and we've talked about uh, the crackle that's been back at Rogers Arena. I don't know if this was because it was a Thursday game as opposed to a Saturday game, but uh, I didn't feel it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there were some Vegas fans in attendance. They had a lot to cheer about. I thought for the buildup and all the good that the Canucks have done to this point, leading into games like this one, that it would have a little bit more buzz around yeah. the rink. But uh, again, when Vegas scores four and a half minutes in and then uh, follows that up with another one before the period is out. And, you know, we, Matt, we talked about the Barbashev goal. Let's just look at the Jack Eichel goal for a sec because the Canucks were guilty of standing around on the Barbashev goal. They were guilty of spinning around on the Eichel goal. A bunch of down low plays. Puck winds up on the stick of Jack Eichel. And he makes no mistake, but again, you've got defenders in the area. But that just, Myers right there in front, yeah. you know, like who just for some reason couldn't get in the passing lane, even with all that physical matter that yeah. Tyler Myers uh, uh, possesses, and and it started with an odd man rush there as well. Look, a couple ways to look at this, Jeff. You, you could look at it and say, for sixty minutes tonight, the Vancouver Canucks were overmatched, out of their depth, and got taught quite a lesson by the Vegas Golden Knights, the defending Stanley Cup champions. By the same token, they're 15-8-1. Yep. Did any of us expect that they were in Vegas's league at the start of this season, even after the hot start? Did we really think like this team was in Vegas's lead, particularly when you look at the terrific depth that Vegas had, and as you mentioned, missing Aldergrove, Shea Theodore today, and arguably two uh, of their best six defensemen. So look, I think uh, while Rick Tockett may not be pleased with what he saw tonight, this is the sort of loss where you're going to have a good practice. You're going to have a good video session. You're going to have some very teachable moments and an opportunity to do something that we haven't seen a lot of this year, and that is um, you know, the head coach be able to say to his club, not nearly good enough. And if we want to play at this level, and, you know, he's talked about it all year, if what playoff teams do, 
They got a visual representation of that tonight, Jeff, up close and personal, and particularly given the amount of puck watching that was going on. Yeah, those final shots were 45-22. Uh, take away the special teams at even strength. The Golden Knights controlled 55% of all shot attempts. The actual shots for at 5-on-5 five five were 40-19, to 19, so more than a 2-to-1 margin. Now, interesting that the scoring chances... According to the natural stat trick, at even strength, we're just separated by one, 24-23 in favor of Vegas. And they claim the Canucks actually had more high-danger chances. So I, I know that the other night against Anaheim when the Canucks uh, were being outshot by the Ducks, Rick Tockett felt that really that was a little misleading because a lot of the duck shots were from the outside. Thatcher Demko was able to see them. Ultimately, the Canucks were able to win that game. Those were the Ducks. These were the Golden Knights. I take issue with the idea that the Golden Knight shots were coming from all over the place. Like I thought there was a lot of puck funneling to the front of the net. I thought there was traffic in front of the net. That's what good teams do, Jeff. Yeah. That's where your goals are scored. This is a very good team. They know full well where they need to get the puck. And the other thing, they got very smart hockey players. God, is Mark Stone a smart hockey player? Because, you know, and I can remember as he was coming up with the Ottawa Senators, like this was a, was a six-round draft pick who doesn't skate particularly well to turn into the two-way forward that he has become and now Stanley Cup champion. And uh, Thatcher Demko with a lesson learned tonight that that's probably <laughs> the quickest stick in the game. I'm not sure there's a player better in the NHL with his stick batting down airborne pucks. Mark Stowe, he's just uncanny at it, and that was nearly another goal against the Vancouver Canucks. So, yeah, I mean, they're a terrific team, and, and some nights – when they play to their level, you're just going to have to stick tap and say, you were better tonight, and this is one of those nights. There was an actual goalie goal in the NHL here. There was. Thursday, there Tristan was. Jari almost had two. Uh, I guess Stone would have put it in, but uh, with a big mm. assist to Thatcher Demko, you're right. Yeah, on the Canuck power play late in the period, that would have just been absolutely crushing. As it turns out, they scored a few more to make it 4 nothing, and then 4-1 to was the final score. But yeah, the Canucks had five giveaways in the first period. Thatcher Demko was charged with two of them, including that one. But you're right about Mark Stone, and it w obviously that was visible there. But there was another one where he's just tracking back in the neutral zone. The Canucks are breaking out. They try to make a pass, a little saucer pass, uh, you know, through the neutral zone. And it looks like there's a magnet on his stick. Like, it, it just, he's got the knack to knock pucks, as you said, out of the air. He might be the best in the league at it. And he was on his game, and uh, his line was going, and they were the driving force, and then the supporting cast uh, fall in behind. And again, Vegas full credit for the 4-1 victory. Lots of shows still ahead here. We'll get to our three-star selection. We'll get the stat that stands out. We'll get a little listener feedback. We'll talk more about the Nikita Zadorov trade as well. And we'll get inside the locker rooms and hear from some of the Canucks and the coach as well. But uh, before we go any further, time now for our Betway bet of the day. Columbus has recalled Port Moody's Kent Johnson after he tore up the AHL upon a uh, curious demotion earlier in the season, Jeff. Blue Jackets at home Friday to the Ottawa Senators paying 220 to win on your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Not going to find a panic button, but it is noteworthy when Quinn Hughes goes two games without a point this season. And that has been the case here. I uh, had that 11 game streak that came to an end the other night uh, against Anaheim. Thought maybe he would start a new one here. Maybe it'll start on Saturday when the Canucks are at the Saddle Dome, the Calgary Flames, whatever the case. Hughes went two games earlier this year, the Philadelphia and Tampa games out on the road, and here back-to-back -back as well. So if he doesn't find the score sheet on Saturday, that will be a first for uh, Quinn Hughes this season. Are you fading him on the Art Ross trophy now, Jeff? Is, is it slipping away here in late November, early December? But yeah, I mean, how good was Vegas tonight? Quinn Hughes looked pretty ordinary. Yep, I would agree. And there's not many times that Quinn Hughes has looked ordinary this year. 4-1, Vegas over the Vancouver Canucks. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Disappointing night for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans as the home team falls 4-1 to the Vegas Golden Knights. You've heard from us. Let's get inside the locker room and hear from Rick Tockett. And you're going to hear from JT Miller as well. And Matt, as you can imagine, Rick Tockett, a little disappointed. I think he expected more from his team. He's got his staples and the non-negotiables. I think they went by the wayside 
Uh, in this hockey game, Talkit says, hey, Vegas was very much as advertised. It's all a learning lesson. I mean, they lost three in a row. You knew they were going to come at us. First two goals, their coverage wasn't good. I mean, I, I, it was was really bad. And then uh, we made a push there before the penalty, Mizey's penalty. I thought there was a 10-minute stretch where we were, we were getting, and then obviously they get the power play goal. Yeah, they're the defending Stanley Cup champs for a reason. And uh, Rick Tockett knows that the Canucks are going to have to up their level the next time they mm-hmm. see them. They don't see them again until uh, much later in the season. And we'll see what the rosters look like in terms of uh, the trade deadline and the acquisitions. And uh, they don't have to worry about the Stanley Cup champs for a while, but uh, they may have nightmares uh, for a night here at the very least because uh, the gap was pretty wide on this night. We talked about uh, the defending breakdowns and some of the gaffes. Uh, Rick Tockett was asked uh, what exactly went on with his hockey club on that one nothing goal. It's just, you know, I'm a big believer pressure meets pressure. And there were some situations where there was a lot of pressure and you got to meet it. And I thought we went away from it. You know, that's, you know, whoever was, you know, that goal. Yeah, we went away from it. I'm not sure pinpoint one guy, but that, that was a microcosm of our game on some of those goals. I, I, like, where, where are you going? Or standing around watching guys in front of our net. That's kind of the, the thing you're disappointed in. But um, it's a learning lesson, and we've done a good job in a lot of these games this year. Um, but this is, a, this is something to – got to go back to the drawing board and like, hey, we got to – Make sure we uh, prepare for every game, uh, whoever we play, and these these th- these matter. You know, knowing position where to go. I mean, that's it, you know, you just got to chip away at this stuff. Yeah, you hear them talk about uh, meeting pressure with pressure. That's uh, in yeah. fact, they've got that written on one of the walls as uh, the players leave the locker room to head out to the ice. One of those uh, buzzwords, catchphrases. Mm. Uh, Talkett's got enough of them, but meet pressure with pressure. They didn't meet uh, pressure with pressure in this hockey game and uh, pressure. Burst pipes. Yeah, and exactly. We saw that. Somebody call today. a plumber. Yeah, yes. uh, I, I do wonder whether we'll see the pressure is a privileged cliche <laughs> le- hanging on the wall a little later in the season. And if you know, the other thing that was going through my mind as we were awaiting Coach Talkett in his comments here, Jeff, is you know, I had a go at them after the San Jose loss. Yep. Can you have a second big go at them in a week? Probably not. Right? Seems like he has been quite calculating in terms of when to pick the spots to go at them. So, well, listen to this answer from J.T. Miller because uh, it was not Miller's shining moment of the season, and there have been many of them. <laughs> uh, he has been incredible in this first year of the contract. Now, the first year was never going to be the issue. Uh, for J.T. Miller, but uh, the effort has been there just about every night. The points have followed the matchup role. Uh, things went a little sideways for him, but I, I think some honesty and some maturity shown here by JT Miller, who took a lot of this loss on himself. Well, the challenge is the same every night, is to outplay their line, and they outplayed us in the first period, and that's on me. They just, uh, you know, I played a little slow in the first period today, and they were ready to play. They were desperate. Um, you know, they got their goals out of hard work and outworked us, and that's on me. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That's leadership. You want a guy that uh, puts his hand up? He's been around the block long enough to know. He knows uh, when he's good and when he's not, and and I think uh, good on him. He can be a prickly guy at times, but uh, that was him stepping before the microphones and saying, hey, a lot of that, that's on me. Well, bless JT Miller uh, after a night like tonight because you know he's going to be honest, and if Rick Tockett's not going to have a full go at the team, then JT's going to have a full go at himself. thought it was very... uh, very commendable that he took ownership of the head-to-head matchup and and how they lost it and you know words like slow and outwork as as opposed to desperate on the other side for Vegas all of it is appropriate here so yeah I agreed with just about every syllable yeah and he also was asked uh, just in his mind what was the difference between the two teams that shared the ice at Rogers Arena yeah just wait will and determination and things that are totally in our control when we're playing well we do them but we just Right now we tend to do it every once in a while or every other night, and it's the results are showing. They, uh, no, I'm just disappointed, I guess, in myself for the start of the game today. And uh, you know, when their line gets two on you, basically they're just playing with the lead from that point. And again, I think some honesty there from JT Miller, just talking about the things that are in their control that they weren't uh, good enough at in this hockey game against the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll see if they up the level of intensity and the battle and the compete and everything else when they go to the Saddle Dome on Saturday. And again, JT's not wrong when he says the results are showing. I sound like I'm repeating myself, but uh, they have lost five of eight now. We should mention as well, Rick Tockett was asked about Andre Kuzmenko and said, and we thought that the effort was there, dug in, the shot attempts, uh, seven of them on the night, three on goal. He scores his 
pitched his fourth of the season, but the coach called that third period the best that he's seen yeah. him all season long. Certainly the best Canuck forward tonight. Yeah. Quite active. Message received after the two-game benching wasn't immediate in the Tuesday game, but if you see more efforts and more games like that from Andre Kuzmenko, I don't, he's not coming out of the lineup anytime soon. No, the question so, now is, does he line up with JT Miller on right. Saturday in Calgary? And if so, boy, that puts uh, the other lines in a blender. The other big question is, did he do enough to get into J-Pat's three stars here? We always look at the three stars in the building as selected by the home broadcast crew, Jack Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, and Thatcher Demko, who has been a star on so many nights. I'm a little surprised there, but again, there weren't many Canucks to choose from in this one. And Demko made some saves. The Marcia stop on the power play in the first period. Marcia has yes. beaten a lot of goaltenders from that position on the ice. And Thatcher Demko was out to cut the angle down and, and make himself big. And he made that stop there. We had some fun with the near disaster with Mark Stone yes. at the end of I thought maybe that would disqualify him from you would think <laughs> I'm not as mad at this selection as you are well, I don't uh, know as, if I'm mad, as but... you've been the yeah the March or so uh stop there's a Chandler Stevenson stop that was good I mean Stone Eichel Carrier there were a number of chances early in this hockey game where Thatcher Demko needed to be sharp Put it this way, I would consider him amongst the better Canucks tonight. Can Not agree. that that is a glowing we can agree on that. compliment. Let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars then. Eichel, in his 500th NHL game, he had himself a night. Against uh, the game winner, but he also was in on the first three goals. He scored the 2-0 goal, and he set up Barbashev and, and Carlson. So a goal and two primary assists for Jack Eichel. Uh, big night for him at Rogers Arena. He was the first star. I'm going with Barbashev as the second. He had a goal and yep. an assist, kind of a spark plug guy. Uh, was linked to the Canucks in the offseason. If he had been able to hit the open market, uh, I think they would have uh, taken a look. I don't know if they'd had the money to make that deal, but I do think that he was the kind of player that they were looking for in the offseason. And, and his was, impact early in the hockey yeah. game really yeah. it, it was the difference here, uh, Jeff, because when they got to the 2 nothing goal and he was involved in – the first two goals. I mean, we didn't know it at the time, but at that point it was game set match. And I'll go with Kuzmenko. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe it's relative to recent performances for him, but he was noticeable and there weren't enough of those wearing Canuck colors in this hockey game. And you just hope that there can be some sort of breakthrough. He can't score the first and last games of every month. There has to be more in between. And yeah, I mean, the month of November was a tough one for him. Uh, to the point mm-hmm. that he was taken out of the lineup not once, but twice. But yeah, I think for me now, moving forward, it is it just the magic that was there with Elias Pettersson most of last season, that seems to have vanished. Maybe it's on Pettersson, some of it's on Kuzmenko, whatever the case. I don't blame Rick Tockett for uh, moving the wingers around, and now I'm curious to see where Kuzmenko will start the game on Saturday against the Flames. We asked on a poll question this week on Sakarison Price whether he'll get to 20 goals. 70% still believe he'll get there. Now you're approaching that 27-game mark, which is a third of the season, and he's sitting there on four. So some some work to do. I, I thought he was a worthy contender for third star. Frankly, I thought there were some Vegas Golden Knights that could have also been the third star. Mark Stone was pretty darn good tonight. Now, it's only the one assist for Stone, so maybe that's not statty enough <laughs> to make the source. Petrangelo with a couple of assists. You know, we should mention Aiden Hill here because uh, I saw our friend Kevin Woodley tweet earlier today that this game was a matchup between the two goaltenders who had the most goals saved above expected here, Thatcher Demko with 15 and Aiden Hill with nearly 12. Aiden Hill has a shutout through two periods of this game, Jeff. No, he doesn't finish the game. Logan Thompson is the goaltender for the third period for the Golden Knights, and he gives up the one goal they give up tonight. Uh, apparently, it was a precautionary lower body matter for Aiden Hill that he remained in uniform and could have been uh, called upon had something gone wrong with Thompson. So there were a lot of contenders for the Vegas Golden Knights tonight on the three-star watch. Ultimately, you have to narrow it down to three. They are the three stars. You can't have six. Right. It's the way the rule. I don't make the rules. It's play by them. Uh, Eichel Can Barbashev. I do a top ten list at some point on rink? <laughs> Here are the ten best players. That way we get everybody who's Pretty even much. got a snowball's chance. Eichel Barbashev, Kuzmenko, the rink-wide Vancouver. Three stars of this hockey game. Still to come, our stat that stands out. We'll take a look at the Canucks record against the big boys in the National Hockey League. Teams like this Vegas 
operation. We'll also get a little bit of listener feedback. We'll check in on the Rinkwide Vancouver social channels and some Nikita Zadorov discussion. Yeah, the Canucks making the trade earlier today, so a second straight Rinkwide where we've had a trade to talk about. Gary Alvin Batman. is screwing with your game day routine here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I know you like orderly and, yeah. uh, you know, having to uh, stick handle a couple of trades in the afternoon on game day. That's not the sweet spot for JPAT. Not getting in that uh, pregame nap. No, definitely not. But uh, that's the way Patrick Alvin seems to like to operate uh, an element of surprise, keep things under wraps. These things don't leak out. And this one didn't. And in today's NHL, I mean, that's a uh, job well done, I suppose, uh, for a general manager that uh, the story is able to be kept under wraps the way this one was. So uh, the Canucks were under the wraps of the Vegas Golden Knights. 4-1 the final score. The Canucks now 15-8-1. Still pretty impressive home ice record at 8-2-1. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. It's Rinkwide Vancouver. We continue to break down this 4-1 Vegas victory over the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena on Thursday night. Next up for the Canucks, a trip to Calgary. And we think that Nikita Zadorov will make his debut there. We'll talk more about that trade in a sec. Just want to throw out our stat that stands out, something we do on each and every one of these post-game pods, Matt. And I find this one interesting, that the Vancouver Canucks are now 2-3-1 and one against teams that are currently in the top 10 of the National Hockey League standings. Their two victories came against Florida in Florida, and they were full value for a 2-0 home ice win against the Dallas Stars earlier this month on November the 4th. Those are the two victories, but there are three outright losses, and then there was the overtime loss to the Rangers here as well. I think what else strikes me from that number is that only six of their 24 games so far have come against teams that are currently sitting in the top 10 of the NHL standings. And of course, much has been made about the Vancouver Canucks schedule to date. It looked pretty daunting to us at the outset of the season when we didn't have records in front of some of these teams. And yet, you know, now you look at the Edmonton victories and Edmonton is playing better. They have won four in a row. So you wonder, is this the surge coming that everybody thought the Oilers would respond with? Seeing it more and more now on Twitter and on social media about the schedule the Canucks have played and how they have fattened up against teams that haven't exactly had terrific records. This was the first game against the Vegas Golden Knights. They have yet to see the LA Kings and won't for some time. They have seen Colorado and Dallas. And yeah, they're going to have to go through the Eastern Conference and play in Barnes and Boston and in New York Carolina as well. So, yeah, no, there will be some rough patches here where you're going to face some formidable foes on the schedule, not to mention you're going to see these Vegas Golden Knights again. Yeah, and I think even the month of December, they get a bunch of those Eastern teams that you talked about. Tampa's coming through here. Jersey's in next week. Uh, Jersey hasn't had the start that it wanted, but uh, the Hughes brothers and Travis Green's return and everything else, that will be a night. But uh, Carolina's coming through here. Roberto Luongo, Ring of Water mm-hmm. night. They have to go to Dallas before Christmas. So there are some tough games here. Yeah, the schedule's been compressed, no doubt about it, in the month of November. But the quality of competition hasn't been as high as it will be as you progress, of course, at the end of the year. It's 41 at home, 41 on the road. You add them all up and see where they stand. At 15, 8, and 1, 31 points at the end of November. I still think they can hold their heads high. Uh, they are three back now of the Vegas Golden Knights in that battle for top spot in the Pacific. And, of course, the Los Angeles Kings, who uh, were idle tonight. In fact, they're idle until Sunday now. So the Canucks will play again before the Kings do. And we'll see how that impacts the standings. But the Los Angeles Kings just on fire having an incredible season themselves. Uh, don't lose sight of that. Don't sleep on those Los Angeles Kings just because the Canucks don't see them until late February. Some odd um, scheduling quirks this year with the Kings having played four fewer games than the Canucks. How about the Ottawa Senators? They've only played 17 games. I know they went to Sweden, but they're at 17 games. There are other teams in this league at 24 games. And in retrospect, Jeff, Rick Talkin needed to bring Bianca and Drescu <laughs> from the stands and into the first intermission dressing room. She knows a thing or two about staring down a champ That's true. and bringing her best against Serena Williams at the U.S. Open final. They showed that, a on, few the, years showed ago. that on the Jumbotron, mm-hmm. and then uh, it, she was there in attendance. So. Sadly, it didn't inspire the local no. hockey team. No. Let, let's spend a minute on that. And just, if you don't mind. Not, not on the dog. No, not on the dog, <laughs> but uh, on competing. And if you don't mind, let me get to a few of the yeah. comments that we've gotten from the Rinkwide Vancouver Twitter posts on your impressions 
of the game. Uh, Scazzy, lackluster drive to want to compete. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I understand that NHL players are wired a certain way, and they're looking at this game at, as one of 82. Maybe they will relent and cop to the fact that, yeah, it's a barometer game because it's against the uh, defending Stanley Cup champion. And I thought Rick Tockett did a pretty good job of putting this game into perspective, not putting too, too much onus on it. But you know this market. You know fans and media. We were talking about an exciting night at Rogers Arena, first place showdown. When's the last time we've been able to say that? You've talked in the past about how few big games yeah. this core has played on home ice in front of a, a paying public. And yet with all of that buildup going into this game, just to be as flat and lackluster as they were really from start to back. Like to me, that's the part that's got to drive Rick talking and the coaching staff crazy is gentlemen. This was an evening that required you to bring all your competitiveness to the rink. And it seemed like a lot of guys just didn't want to be out there competing against the Vegas Golden Knights. It was a hard hockey game. They make life miserable on you. That is a fantastic club that plays a very disciplined system, but it just seemed like a too many Vancouver Canucks tonight were just uh, were willing to fade into the background and, and let Vegas control the game. And uh, I didn't see the pushback you would have thought from a Canucks team playing in a game with stakes for the first time in a while. You, you mentioned it there, but just to elaborate, if you're Elias Pettersson or Brock Besser or Quinn Hughes or JT Miller is a member of the Vancouver Canucks, or Thatcher Demko for that matter, you have basically been through the slog of the last bunch of years where you haven't had the opportunity to play no. in games like this. And so, yeah, maybe we in the media make it out to be more, but if I'm a player that hasn't had the opportunity to play a meaningful game against the Stanley Cup champs, like, I, yes. I would have been at the rink an hour earlier. Like, I would have been, you know, getting the pump-up tunes on... Even earlier this season, Jeff, against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, they they raised their level against that opponent. Thatcher Demko on Tuesday takes the public address mic and thanks the fans for sticking with them. Right. I mean, recognizing how miserable the performance of the club has been for a number of years. So yeah, that that was um that was a little disappointing from the Vancouver Canucks players. Uh, some more feedback here. Sylvia says playing 10 of 60 doesn't win you hockey games, and that's probably about right. It was probably about 10 minutes of decent hockey from the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Scott from Australia says, love the show. Depend on it here in Sydney. I think the biggest thing is Patterson's lack of scoring now. It feels like we've gone back to looking for the perfect scoring opportunity rather than just trying to create something. And Frankly, Scott, I think that might even be giving them a little too much credit looking for the perfect scoring opportunity. Grant says, got caught standing around being amazed at a powerhouse team. Miller's line should be embarrassed. We are just not good enough. Pretty harsh there. And Mick Canucks says, slow, sloppy, sluggish game all around. No show from all the stars. Not one shot on net or attempt by Petey. Canucks were schooled tonight. All of that is fair criticism this evening. Slow, sloppy, sluggish, and schooled. I like that. Mm. Yes, that kind of sums it up. Didn't expect another trade on uh, this game day, the big buildup for the Canucks and the Golden Knights, but Patrick Alvin, who likes to operate in this cone of silence until deals are done, and he surprised us hours before the game against Anaheim with uh, Anthony Bovillier out the door uh, for a draft pick, and then that draft pick is turned around and paired with another and sent to Calgary for Nikita Zadorov, uh, who, again, wasn't with the Canucks, uh, wasn't in the lineup, but we didn't expect he would be when the trade was pulled off hours before game time, but could very well uh, make his Canuck debut on Saturday against his old team. So uh, that'll be quite the storyline going back to the Saddle Dome. But I, I think the consensus was the timing of the trade, the price that they had to pay to get a player that they've been linked to for a while, have expressed interest in, and one that they wanted, and Rick Tockett has looked over longingly at that defense core of the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, again, Theodore and Martinez weren't in the lineup, but uh, the reinforcements, including former Canuck Ben Hutton, they hold their own. Hutton was pretty good he tonight. Was. He's 30 years old now, too, which kind of caught me off guard. Amazing. But, you know, a college guy, I guess, started a little mm -hmm. later. Uh, but, yeah, he's now in. He's 30-year-old Ben Hutton. 
Uh, whatever the case, it feels like the Canucks are trying to replicate that when you bring in Zadorov to go along with Carson Soucy when he gets back in the lineup. And obviously Tyler Myers is there. And you've got Ian Cole, who's not tall, but he's he's solid and thick through and, and can play a physical game. And so uh, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to get out in front if you've got you know somebody targeted that you think you mm-hmm. can, can bring in and help this mix. And yeah, on a night like tonight, they needed help up front, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, Nikita Zadorov can come and bring an edge and bring, you know, I'm not thinking he's the 14-goal scorer that he was. I'm uh, not sure really where that came from last year. That's not why they're bringing this guy in. Uh, they're bringing him in to stabilize sort of uh, the bottom pair or bottom two pairs uh, on defense, and it's going to be really interesting, Matt, to see ultimately where he slots in. Very much so. More on that in a second. 22-point career high, and it did not come last year with the 14-goal <laughs> season, which is just so strange. He passed anybody last year. Probably. As for Hutton, he'll forever be our Barbie girl, the yes. youthful exuberance of that Dyson Ice rookie show way back when. But you mentioned the slotting, Jeff, and I'm not going to say that's critical to the trade because worst-case scenario, if it doesn't pan out, if he gets hurt Saturday in Calgary and misses the season, it's cost you a third-round pick three drafts from now. And the fifth you just acquired for Beauvillier, and I think that's probably a trade. I think you're happy to make that trade regardless of how it turns out for Zadorov the rest of the year. But the big question is with regards to the slotting. And I know that Tockett and Foot have played four righties. They seem willing to play a righty on the left side. They don't seem willing to play a lefty on yeah. the right side, which I find a little bit odd. Because in a perfect world... He is your second pair of right shot defenseman, right? You appropriately slot Tyler Myers on the third pair. You don't have to play Mark Friedman or Noah Juleson unless you have some injuries. And quite frankly, I think that hit that Juleson threw on Paul Cotter tonight, and boy, was it a tough night for Paul Cotter. He was ragdolled several times this evening. I think that's Noah Juleson understanding that his NHL games and minutes are pretty limited here, and so perhaps making a final impression before he hits the press box or back down to Abbotsford. But we talked on Sikerson Price earlier this week, Blake and I, about Rutherford's MO of being an early mover, about the advantages of being an early mover and getting a player into your program, in this case, well before Christmas and you know, a whole half season almost before the trade deadline. What does that allow you to do? Well, number one, it allows the player to integrate with his teammates it gives management a longer runway to evaluate him with regards to an extension. But here's the other thing and why I think this has been such a great week for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford. Cap space is tight around the league. This was a player that quite clearly, based on Craig Conroy's comments in Calgary today, the Flames were looking to move sooner rather than later. And the longer you wait towards the trade deadline the more teams are going to accrue some cap space and be able to get in on this player. So I thought it was a very reasonable price to pay for a defenseman who can play 18, 19 minutes, has that sort of size, that sort of snarl coming off a 14-goal season, as you mentioned, that it was, I guess Calgary gets two picks as opposed to one, but thought for sure if you're moving them this early in the season, you're probably getting a higher pick than a third, let alone a third three years from now. And look, you know, the worst case scenario is you've got another lefty defenseman that is somewhere between a second pair and a third pair and can be there to fortify and perhaps allow you to play Cole or Susie on the right side, Susie when he gets back healthy. And if things work out tickety-boo here, you may have solved your biggest organizational need, at least in the near term, for that top four right side defenseman. Remarkable that the Canucks now have 12 players on the roster on expiring contracts, which gives this management group all sorts of flexibility. I mean, they are not tied to many of these players. And again, I think that sort of speaks to opportunity is knocking. They've had this incredible start. They go out and they get Zadorov. I think that maybe they think they have sped up the process just a little bit. At least maybe they thought they had prior to this one against the Vegas Golden Knights. And then they get a little bit of a wake-up call. Well, if not sped up the process, Jeff, at the very least, looking down the road and understanding that the window this year might be more open than the window in future years, 
I mean, you talk about flexibility, but they already have 56 million committed for next year. And Pedersen and Roenick, when they sign their extensions, are going to eat a significant chunk of the 30 million you have left. And then, of course, and of course, we'll see a bump in the cap. So maybe it's 35 million, maybe it's 36 million, something like that. And then, of course, you are going to have to go out and fill some of these roster spots with these UFAs who aren't coming back. But as we talked about on a, on the Sakarison Price show today, Jeff, you know, you uh, look at what was needed immediately with Susie not here. You look at what is needed long-term for the rest of the season and into the playoffs, which you suspect you will make at this stage, given the fantastic start. And you went out and you addressed it. So uh, a, a very effective week and particularly taking advantage of a couple of situations in Chicago and Calgary this week, Jeff, that I think a lot of other teams would have liked to have taken advantage of and in some cases weren't able to because of their cap predicaments. Yeah, and it sounded like uh, other teams wanted the Flames to retain a little bit on Zadorov, the one team that had the cap space now after the Bavillier deal. It's interesting because look at the Flames' defense. Rasmus Anderson, Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin, Mackenzie Wieger. Zadorov, part of, I think, his issue there was his role and his slot, and maybe he wanted to play a little bit more. So that comes back to what's he walking into here, and ultimately, where is he going to play? And and will he be happy enough with that? I think also at the time of the trade demand, the Flames were trending in the wrong direction and it kind of felt like they were a little bit rudderless and they have made some progress here of late and they get a win over the Dallas Stars. And what's funny in that one is, look who scored the goals. It was 4-3 in overtime. Kadri got the winner, but the three goals in regulation time, Tanev, Uyghur, Hannafin, the three defensemen. So uh, who knows? Uh, Chris Tanev with his first in the season, not expected to generate a lot of offense, but uh, they get three from their blue liners on the day that they trade uh, one of them to the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, we look forward to Nikita Zadorov's debut. Again, we expect that that'll happen on Saturday at the Saddle Dome against the Calgary Flames. But on this night, the Vegas Golden Knights, the better team. I don't think there's much doubt about that. You kind of put it in that uh, framework of a seven-game series, and I think the Vancouver Canucks recognize that they've had a nice start, but uh, there is still... Some heavy lifting to be done. For Matt Sakaris, this is Jeff Patterson. As always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rink Wide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway. <laughs>